James, we had this really great interview. What I really liked about this week's um, episode, we don't do this a lot, but we kind of honed in on one specific topic for the entire podcast. And I think people are going to come away from it really um, enlightened. You want to start off by... um, Yeah, let's talk about about it. You know, so... You know, we we all I think our audience is really aware of, you know, the visa memo, the issue with cash discounting, surcharging, dual pricing and kind of this path forward. So mm-hmm. um, we did a much longer interview than we normally would do. So me yes. and Patty did our best to keep our segments a little shorter. But we talked about the, this issue and what's compliant, what's not compliant. And of course, um, Keith Sampson from North American Bank Card was really the architect, the early architect of the EDGE program, yes. which is their dual pricing. Um, right. They're one of the largest companies with tens of thousands of merchants on dual pricing, and they've been on mm-hmm. dual pricing for years. So they right. have the data behind how this program works, consumer reaction, and things like that. And so we really dive deep into that. And then, uh, Patty, uh, your I, segment I as well. I gave some highlights on the Visa memo and um, you know what, what I think it might mean. But I think, uh, James, you, you sort of really opened up my eyes to something um, in your segment. You want to tell everybody about that? Yeah. So there's just, you know, as everybody knows, I've been pretty hard on Visa and the, and the card brands in their in their attack on free speech through these programs. However, I soften that a little bit. And I talk about some of the challenges that I've learned that they may or may not be facing um, that could make sense. And so the, the, the big takeaway is it's time for us to pivot. And <laughs> so yes. one way or the other, we got to make a change. So I talk about all of that. Um, and so you're definitely going to want to listen to it. This is your episode. This uh, Everybody's everybody's asking yes. me, James, what do you think about dual pricing? This is your episode right this here. This is it. Listen to the whole episode. You will know where Maybe I stand. You'll have, a, you'll, you'll have a clear example of a processing company with lots of merchants that's doing it successfully. You'll mm-hmm. understand the Visa memo from Patty, and you'll understand my takeaways of what we need to do you know, moving forward. So without further ado, obviously, this podcast is sponsored by Valor Paytech, who, by the way, has this amazing feature, Patty. What is it that they have? Dual pricing. Dual pricing. Support built right in. for dual pricing. Uh, built right into the terminal. And we'll talk more about that after the interview, but uh, cccalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Patty, let's dive into our interview today. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Everybody, I'm here with my friend Keith Sampson, who is the National Sales Director at North American Bank Card. How are you doing today, Keith? I am Fantastic. Good, as good. I love it. Great. Love it. You hear. stole my word. That's the word I always use. So now I have to say something else. Yeah, I, I'm doing very all well. All right, I'll change it up. Best day ever. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Much better. Much um, better. So I've been looking forward to having this conversation and putting it out on the podcast. So we're talking about dual pricing. Of course, mm-hmm. the EDGE program that I know you were instrumental in creating at North American Bank Card. That is one of the industry leading approaches here as far as dual pricing goes. So we're going to talk about that. Cash discounting, surcharging, kind of the future of all of this. Um, before we dive into that, Keith, I definitely want our audience to hear your backstory. So sure. give us a little bit, you know, how did you get into this crazy industry? And then how did you end up uh, creating this EDGE program together with North American Bank Card? So I got into this industry April 2012. So this is my 10-year anniversary month. Nice. I'd have to go back and like look at <clears throat> the day, whatever, to see the exact yeah. day, right? right. Uh, so 10 years in it. Uh, I spent 11 and a half years prior to that in the industrial laundry business. And that's pretty relevant because I brought over all the stuff we did there to be successful and kind of moved it into this industry, right? Really brought a different way of doing things because in the industrial laundry business, it's very service focused, right? You can't, it's not just dropping something off or plugging in a terminal and then never seeing again. I mean, you're setting it up for success for the route drivers to go in every single week. It's very relationship built. I mean, you are constantly winning that client's business every single week. I mean, essentially. Mm. And so I brought a lot of that mindset into the payment space. 
another piece which um, uh, it will be relevant uh, when we talk a little bit more about dual pricing is really the exposure it gave me to working with a lot of different kinds of businesses. And the work I did there set me up to become a consultant because my CEO was very forward thinking about making sure like I ran sales, but I knew all the details. We had a key data meeting every single Wednesday where I knew how many napkins we folded. I knew our labor rate. I knew our ARs. I knew our APs, like stuff that most salespeople don't know. Mm -hmm. I was immersed in and so was every other leader, right? It really brought a level of accountability, transparency, and overall business knowledge, which like I said, as we talk a little bit more about dual price, will make sense of how that background prepared me for doing what I did with the EDGE program and a lot of what I do essentially in payments over the last 10 years. Sure. And so take us back a little bit and, and, you know, when did edge kind of start, you know, the iteration, give us a little bit of the background of kind of how you ended up, you know, doing this yeah. edge program. So it was roughly what 2016, 17 ish mm-hmm. when we started seeing like cash discount, like kind of emerging. Right. Yeah. And at that point we started having some sales partners going, Hey, do we have any kind of a program where we can like pass the fees to the customer? We're starting to see this in our markets. And so I started diving in and doing some research. I'm going, yeah, this is relevant. We need to have something like this available for our sales partners. And I just started looking like I, I, I when I, when I go into something like I'm like all in, like, like obsessively all in and I'm bound to determine to become an expert in it. Right. Because again, that's how I know I become ridiculously confident I become the ability to scale and teach and train by knowing mm-hmm. it really well and inside and out. Sure. So as I started diving into cash discounting back then, I'm looking at it going, hold on a second. What's happening here? Like, doesn't match with the rules that we're supposed to be following. Right. Right. And so, I'm, and so that was like the first little check mark of going, ah, raise a little flag, you know, a little yellow one at that point. And I'm going, okay. So, that doesn't jive, but let's keep going down this path. What does this look like? And again, from my experience working with so many different customers, I very much look at it and teach people how to sell by putting yourself in the other people's shoes. So whenever you're across the table, you always have to somehow be able to, I'm going to say this, how are they perceiving it? What is it like to sit on the other side of the table? And I started applying that not only in the merchant side of this, but the customer side of this. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, hey, I'm a merchant. I'm going to do this add a fee, remove a fee thing. And then I've got to teach a 16 year old hourly kid that just got out of high school that works for me for three hours to not only explain this program, but potentially handle a customer that's upset about it. Mm -hmm. How does that look? What does that look like from a customer experience perspective? What does that look like from an employer perspective? Can I teach that 16 year old kid to do this? Mm -hmm. And when I realize I'm going, man, that just seems messy. Right, uh, that there's got to be a better way to do this, and so let me take a step back and preface: like I'm a ridiculous, I love capitalism, I am a ridiculous fan of the free market. In my opinion, let the merchant do whatever they want. They want to add a fee to a transaction, and customers decide to take their business elsewhere. Let them do it. Like I, I, I'm all, I'm all for run your business the way you want to run your business, but that's not the world we live in, right? I'd like to drive 95 miles an hour down the highway but I can't. It's a posted 65 mile an hour zone. There are consequences if I go outside of that and get caught, right? Right. So I'm applying that same kind of logic to all of this. And so I'm going, all right, I get the net result. I'm a fan of the net result. Nobody likes to pay expenses. They want their, you know, people are, it's the credit card bill oftentimes is number two or number three outside of payroll 
on the list of expenses for a business. You've got rent, and then sometimes you got credit card, and then you got utilities, right? And I'm talking about, not talking about cost of goods. I'm talking like that below line expenses, right? And so I get the why, but I just kind of sat back. Okay, clear the table. Here's what they want to accomplish. Let's look at it from a normal course of business perspective. If a business has expenses they want to recuperate, how do they normally do that? They normally raise their prices. Okay, that's normal business. It's not only normal business, right. that's normal consumer experience. When we walk into our favorite store and an item that used to be 20 bucks is now $21, we're not happy, but we understand it. Insurance goes up, utilities go up, all these things happen, they've got to recoup that. So now you're dealing with normal business, you're dealing with normal customer experience. So how do I work this in a way that ties all that together? I'm going, hold on a second, why if, and again, this is where the business consulting comes into play, I'm laying out a cost of goods expenses and everything has, like I could sit there and buy this bottle of water and it has the exact same fixed and variable expenses up until one point. And that's the point of transaction. At the point of transaction, I add another variable expense if I use my card. Right. So why can't I do a price increase at the point of transaction as opposed to doing it across the board? And I started researching that and mm -hmm. I'm like, hold on a second. This is dual price. This is what the gas stations are doing. Right. I can pay a cash price at the gallon if I or at the pump if I walk in and literally give them dollar bills, or I pay a card price if I in, pre, insert my card. So why can't this be done in the masses? Started researching it. It's allowable in all 50 states. Hold on a second. Now all of a sudden I can teach this to that 16-year-old. I can have a conversation if a customer's upset, like, why are you doing this dual price program? Last week it was 20 bucks. Now it's $20 or $20.80. What gives? Well, look, I'm sorry. My, my owner had two choices. He could either raise his prices across the board, no matter how you pay, or decide to put in a two price model and you save a little bit of money when you pay with cash. Don't you think that's more fair? And by turning it back to the customer with that more fair question, you mm -hmm. automatically kind of have them pause a step back, put them in the shoes of the business owner of having to make that decision and apply empathy. And I'm like, that works. Yeah. That I can teach. That I can go into a merchant implement and teach their 16 year old staff how to have that conversation and if i could teach a 16 year old how to do it now there's something that's scalable yeah right so right. I, I love this so so let's do this keith let's you know i want to zoom out for a second because yep. you know as both of us know and, and you and i were both uh early proponents of of this idea of passing the cost of processing onto the consumer in various ways as yep. we look at these programs specifically you know even non-cash adjustment things like that um you know nobody predicted very few people predicted early on that this was going to like take over the world. Right. Like this was, I mean, there's still people in the industry today that are like, Oh, this is never going to work. And I'm like, right. Hello. Are we in the, are we operating in the same market? Like this is massive. Yeah. So, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. What, what did fuel this? I mean, this is taken off like a rocket ship. You know, everybody pretty much is doing it on the ISO side in, in one form or another. Why is it so popular with the agents and the, and the ISOs and even the merchants? Like what's fueled this? Do you think? Well, I think it's it's a return to, again, and unfortunately, the market will do what the market does. So let's right. take a step back to the beginning, right? You had an opportunity to provide a program where now all of a sudden you're not having just a rate conversation. You're actually able to have more of a value-based conversation. And, you know, and so in that value-based conversation, there's benefit for the merchant mm -hmm. and there's benefit for the sales partner and higher portfolio growth, right. right? When you have an account, when you move them from interchange plus 20 and 5 cents, to you know, fast forward a flat rate of 3.8461, you've now added 
a lot more margin in there, right? So now one account becomes the same value depending three to six times the value on the account. So that right. means I, that from an operations and work standpoint, mm -hmm. guess what? To make the same money, I sell three to six times fewer accounts. Or if I sell the same amount of accounts that I'm out there selling, I'm making three to six times more money. So from an operations ISO, and that, tr and that trickles up, right? Think about it from a high ISO level and you've got an army of sales partners out there selling and they sell a thousand accounts a month. Do you want them selling a thousand traditional or you go to the other end of the spectrum and you want them selling a thousand accounts that are worth three to six times. That means you're doing the profit of three to 6,000 accounts. Right. So everybody right. got behind that. And because of the immediate benefit to the merchant, of course, and if, and again, I'm going to actually talk a little bit about how not to sell this type of space, but the easy path was, hey, do you want to save some money? How do you do that? How much are you spending on credit card processing? A thousand bucks. Great. I can save you a thousand bucks a month. How? And they would go into their thing. That's a very price-driven conversation, but you still have some value in there. Right, right. So I think that's that's kind of where this whole thing took off. You pull COVID into it. And yeah. when everybody's looking to be creative, you have a consumer base that becomes more accepting of yeah. what merchants may or may not be doing to survive. You now all of a sudden have this like, perfect pot of ingredients that allows this these types of programs to really expand and explode yeah right right can you give me an idea i just was wondering keith you were talking about how you kind of got on this pretty early on but it would it would seem to me that you know maybe there were a couple of iterations that didn't work out or you know you started off with this iteration and then you had to build on it can you yep. maybe talk about some of those earlier iterations yeah, so back in uh, this 2017-ish uh, is when we really started, when Edge really started to evolve, right? And mm -hmm. at the time, it was called Sultra Prime. And this is before technology was there. Like, the idea was ahead of technology. Mm -hmm. So, again, in that big roadmap purpose, I'm always imagining software driving the customer experience and it being div driven through the actual receipts, changing mm -hmm. based on the payment tender selected in the checkout experience. Okay, yeah. Nobody had that at the time because nobody was thinking about it, right? Nobody was like, again, gas stations were doing it right. on their point of sale, but that's it. There wasn't like I can put a retail point of sale system in there, hit cash, and it put a cash price on the, on the receipt. Hit credit card as a payment tender, and it changes the line item per item, changing the subtotal and tax. It didn't exist. So then you had to trickle down, right? What was the next best way? And this is where you start playing in the gray a little bit to accomplish the thing, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the first iteration had a non-cash adjustment. Like at first it was, everybody was selling service fee or a customer fee or something like that. Or convenience One, fee, even worse. Convenience right? fee, right? Felt so those, those are the first iterations <laughs> in, this, in this space. I had two fundamental problems with that. And it goes back to the customer experience, which I want to talk a little bit more here in a second. But one, the word fee, is never a good customer experience. Right. Right. The, the second thing was, again, I always look at it from an application and scalable perspective. If I'm a server in a restaurant, do you think I want to bring a bill to a table that says service fee on there? Mm. What happens to my tips? Okay. Yeah. They go down. So if I'm a restaurant putting this program in and I have a service fee and my servers are making less money, do you think they're going to be behind this program or nope. before this program? Right. right. You're going to have this internal even at the table, I'm sorry, we have to do this. Like who wants that as an experience? So again, I, I get really granular with what these conversations look like and then dive it back. And, and I can't claim this for fact, I don't know, but I had conversations with a couple of people on our team and I was like, we should call it a non-cash adjustment. It takes the word fee out of it 
And it allows us to sit there and push from a sales perspective, the idea of two prices, right? So the storyline became on a sales perspective, hey, all items have two prices. There's a cash price and a card price. You're going to see that difference collected in the non-cash adjustment. So we weren't selling a fee. We weren't adding a fee to all transactions and removing a fee like the industry was doing. So we were selling a different product. You end up, if you lay the receipt side by side, you still end up with basically the, the same net issue. But at least the storyline made more sense. At least it could be sold from a dual price model. There just wasn't the technology available then to do it the way that it could be done today. Yeah, right. And then, yeah. so, all right, so you've got this non-cash adjustment, uh, you know, initially. Um, now, I want to cover one other thing, though. So before we go any further with this, you know, the customer experience. So, uh -huh. you know, our audience understands what we're talking about with, with dual pricing, but, you know, Let's talk about that for a second. So customer experience with true dual pricing. So you move from the non-cash adjustment to this true dual priced edge program where you don't add a line item at all, but yep. explain that a little bit more of what is the customer experience when they walk into a merchant that's doing, you know, the current version of edge, what does that look like for them if they want to buy an item that's a hundred dollars or something, you know, how does that work? So it, so this will drive down to the state level, right? And so this is something that hasn't really caught much, um, steam yet uh, in conversations online, in the Facebook groups and everything else, right? And you know, a lot of people think that moving to dual price by the card brands and them getting behind this is something that they're gonna drive the customer experience. They're not, it has to do with the state, right? Mm -hmm. And so in my opinion, one of the reasons why the card brands can get behind uh, the dual price model is that allows them to wash their hands of a certain segment of it, right? They say, you do this, it's not my job to make sure you're adhering to the state of Indiana or the state of New York or Washington state's rules to how you communicate that you have two prices. That's between you and the state. Because guess what? If you're in New York, New York is one of the strictest. New York says you must have both prices listed on every single item, menu, menu shelf, whatever, right? But they also have a very other stipulation that I don't think any other state has that I found is they say the customer must do no math. So that right. means even true cash discount can't be done in New York by the ideas. Because if I walk in and they let's say this is a dollar in New York and they say, oh, we offer a 4% cash discount. If they don't list that off as 96 cents or a dollar, the dual price, guess what? I have to do math. That means that merchant is violating state laws. That means if somebody complains to the state about them and somebody walks in and audits them, they're not paying a fine to Visa or MasterCard. They're now dealing with the state. Right. Trust me, that's a game I don't want to be in. Okay. So I, I wanted to preface that the customer experience will vary state by state. All you have to do is Google the name of the state, customer communication pricing guidelines, something along those lines. You'll see Washington state dictates you must list both prices. So does California. California actually tends to pull in the POS as a segment of that, which is really interesting. Indiana, it's a little bit more vague. Indiana's like, hey, Customers must clearly understand what they're going to pay when they pay. That's a little bit more open-ended. Can I communicate that with signage? If I do it properly, yes. I have customers where I've implemented a dual price and they didn't change all of their items. But what they did was just like a sale. When you walk in and you see Under Armour for sale on a rack of 20% off, they don't reprice all those items. There's a big 20% off sign and then they give examples. If it's 20, it's now 16. If it was 50, it's now 40. Why can't we do that in reverse and clearly communicate it? That flies here in Indiana. Put that same logic in, in New York State. Uh-uh, that is not going to abide by the state laws. So 
in my opinion, and, I'll, and, I, and I've mentioned this in other forms, like I'm actually opening a retail store here in the next couple months and I'm putting dual pricing in. And even though in Indiana I could do signage, I'm not. I still think the best customer experience is somebody walks up and they see this item is either $100 in cash or 104 in card. Like no, like a, a customer that is surprised very rarely ever creates a good experience. And I, first and foremost, I'm a fan of the merchant. I want to help merchants grow. That means in the details, I want to help them create great experiences for their customers. That's what's going to bring them back. That's how people are going to share it. And if you so, don't mind, can I, can I flip good. it on the cash discount side on the fee base side? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I've also said this in my talks and different things. I, I, I love this conversation because it really drives back the customer experience that everybody right now is like, ah, freaking out about. Okay. But if I were to ask a room of a thousand people, please raise your hand if you like paying a fee to buy something. Nobody's going to raise their hand, right? Another question around that is, okay, your merchants don't like paying fees. What do you think their customers are going to like about paying fees? They're not. So even when merch, when sales partners are out there selling, hey, just pass your fees off to the, mer to the customer. Do you think that's creating a good customer experience or a bad customer experience? Right. You could have this amazing customer experience. I go and I buy a mountain bike, let's say, and a knowledgeable staff. There's music. It looks off like they're hitting on all points. Very knowledgeable. I'm, I'm super excited to get this thousand dollar mountain bike. I go to pay and I whip out my American Express and I say, oh, we're going to charge you a four percent fee to use your card. That 10 just went to a nine or an eight. I'm not going to complain. I'm still going to buy the mountain bike. But you think I'm going to pull out my phone and post on Instagram how awesome this experience was like I was about to. Nope. That means by adding fees to transactions, you're potentially costing that merchant free attention when they're focusing on providing great experiences. Yeah. So I, I want to, a couple of things I want to unpack about what you just said here is my way of follow up. Um, and, you know, I love that you kind of got ahead of me with my next question, and which I like. <laughs> Sorry because, about that. No, I love it. That was good. Um, so a couple of things I want to unpack about this. So, first of all, let's clarify dual pricing as it relates to edge. The scope of what you have built and what North American Bank Card offers is uniform in all 50 states, meaning Correct. just like Visa, we're saying the scope of the compliance as it relates to payments and payment processors is the point of sale system is dual price. Correct. Right. Then we're saying to the merchant, hey, Mr. or Ms. Merchant, every state has different rules. Your yep. state might require you to list this dual pricing on the shelf for the menu. This other state may not. This state may want you to have a sign. This one may not. Um, and so the idea is, if I if I can restate it, and then you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is that, you know, what we are concerned with, what Visa seems to be mostly concerned with, uh, is hey, the point of sale system. We're not adding a fee of any kind to any kind of debit or prepaid transaction, yep. and we have dual pricing. The receipt doesn't have an extra line item. And so right. that's what we're concerned with. Certainly we want to educate the merchant. Certainly we want to give them information and all of that. But ultimately compliance, at least as I have seen, as it relates to Visa and, and others, the primary issue is at that point of sale, we cannot add a fee to debit. And so dual pricing gives us the opportunity to show a cash and a card price at the point of sale, and that is the same in every state. Is that is everything I just said accurate, or do you have anything to add to that? No, that, that's completely accurate, except I would add, unless you're registered to surcharge, you can't add a fee to a credit card either. So the dual pricing offers that ability to sit mm. there and look, I'm not even gonna play in the same space, right? Like because this is not cash discounting, this is not surcharging. This is no, dual pricing is its own thing. 
it's its own thing. Like you fee-based programs, you play over here, right? I'm going to build this in here. I'm going to play a different game in a different stadium for a different audience, teach people how to sell it differently. This becomes a value-based conversation as opposed to fee-based programs become price-based conversations, right? And we've seen it in the market. Now who's willing, because if I'm going to add a fee to a transaction, all I'm doing is selling a commodity. If I start the conversation out with, hey, I'm going to save you money. How are you going to do that by adding a fee? Great. Now I can't even have a value-based conversation because psychologically, if I say, the minute I say save you money, doesn't matter what I say after that, I have now made it a price-based conversation. And so now you can't sell on both price and value properly. So I now have a price conversation. I'm now selling a commodity as a fee, okay? Especially if I'm just putting a terminal in there. If I'm a merchant and somebody goes, oh, you're charging a 4% fee, I'll do it for three. Why wouldn't I switch? It's a cheaper commodity. My customers save 1%. It's just swapping out a piece of equipment, right? And, And that's in my opinion, that's one of the big opportunities here for the industry is to take a step back and go, hey, I have an opportunity to redefine how I sell. I have an opportunity to actually bring more value to merchants. I have an opportunity to move away from price-based selling to value-based selling. Yes, it's a t- trickier sell. Selling a fee, it's easy. That's the easy path, right? Yeah. I'm going to play in this stadium, in this game, and I'm going to become an expert in this craft, and I'm going to have sure. long-term greater success. One of the other things I just wanted to clarify about this conversation before I know Patty has a follow-up here too, but I, I just wanted one other thing, you know, as far as the customer experience and the experience at the, at the register, one of the questions I've been getting a lot, which is a valid point, is that most of the time, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, most of the time the technology is not displaying this cash and card price to the consumer. Correct. This is something that is being displayed to the person who's ringing up the order. So they're asking the question that people have asked for decades, which is, are you paying with a card or with cash, right? Yep. And then the merchant is clicking the button that corresponds with the you know payment type that's being given. And then the receipt is being printed. And so, you know, really, you know, one of my kind of hesitations about this program early on was like, okay, wait a minute, how are consumers going to react to like, this is right in their face. And and the truth is number one, when it is right in their face, meaning there is a consumer facing screen, I've actually seen a better response. I think consumers appreciate the transparency. As yep. you mentioned, Keith, you know, after COVID, I think their, you know, their uh, willingness to accept this dramatically changed, but um, actually most of the time with these standalone type terminals or smaller terminals, I mean, that isn't even happening there. I mean, this is just a cash or card price and it's printing. The important thing is on the receipt, it's saying this, you're paying the card price or you're paying the cash price. I mean, is anything to add to that? Or is that, is that accurate? That is accurate. I'm actually going to read a text that I got from a customer. So I've been trying, he'd been a customer of mine for eight years, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, roughly. Yeah. And I finally got him switched over to this. He yeah, does yeah. in between 120 to 150,000 a month. He's a market, tons of items. Okay. Right. And I put him in retail cloud. Because Retail Cloud is one of the point of sale systems I worked with to help them develop a dual price yes. model. So I have a whole series of them in the NAB world where it's like, hey, Keith, I, I contacted them. These are the ones that our partners are selling. I said, I need it to function like this. Right. And I would work with their dev teams, work through workflow. They'd send me copies of receipts like, nope, this has to be fixed. And so we have this host of right. solutions that truly do run dual price from a software driven right. program. And, and before you go on with that, just to clarify, you're yep. saying it is actually grossing up the individual line items. So on the receipt, Correct. here are the 17 items you bought. And it's, it's what is it doing? Listing both prices or, or what is it doing? So imagine, imagine, forget the tech side of how the system watches. And basically what you're saying is 
every item in the system has two prices. So this bottle of water is either dollar or dollar four, right? This remote is $100 or $104. I go into a store and that system is knowing that there's two prices for every single item. And it's calculating those. So it can actually display to the customer a running total of what your cash price is and your card price, even after, even after tax, right? And so and now all of a sudden it's driven by payment tender. I push cash and they hand me dollars and it prints out the receipt. This is printing at a dollar on that line item. This is printing at $100 on that line item. The subtotal becomes 101. The sales tax on that is based on the state for that 101 subtotal. I hit the credit card tender selection button. The price on the receipt prints off at a dollar four, a hundred and four dollars. That subtotal is now one hundred and five oh four. The sales tax is calculated on that, so it's all driven by that payment tender selection. Right. Does that make okay. sense? Makes so there is no sense. line items, and literally you can have a hundred different items on that receipt, and it's printing the line item based on the payment tender, or should say the price what? based on the payment tender. So, Keith, you know, this sounds really interesting because, you know, I know when James and I first started talking about this a couple, two, three years ago, the question that was in my mind, most present in my mind, was what would be the consumer reaction? How, do, how are they going to respond to seeing these two prices, right? Yep. Um, you obviously have a lot of people on this um, on this program. You've had you've had a lot of experience. I'm just wondering, you know, if you can give us some insight in terms of what's been the response from the merchant. You know, what's sure. been their feedback and also um, what's been the consumer reaction um, at this point? Yeah, I'll, I actually I'll read you a text message that I got from one of my customers not too long ago first. But I, I want to talk about what you just mentioned, the consumer experience. And this mm -hmm. is where oftentimes people, not just in our industry, but in business as a whole, fail mm -hmm. to connect and understand consumer experience and buyer behavior. Right. So when you look at dual pricing versus adding a fee, OK, Let's go to the gas stations. When was the last time you pulled up to a gas station and walked in and paid cash to save a couple bucks? Actually, I do that often, but you do great. Well, but this, is, this is why the, we have these programs for people like yeah, Daddy. Right. <laughs> and, and I ask that question and I always see a couple hands go up, right. but the majority of people don't. The follow-up right. question I have to that is when was the last time, except for you, Patty, when you insert <laughs> your card and I want everybody listening to this, think about it. I insert my card to pay at the pump and I think nothing about it. Right. And, and before when dual price at the pump became a thing, everybody was carrying cash. Mm -hmm. Right. So you had this shift in consumer behavior. So now you have this. Let's add a fee, which is a break in consumer behavior. And never is a good experience right. versus a program that goes, you know what? We have a customer base that this is normal for them. Mm -hmm. OK, so now we transfer that to an everyday practice. Right. And I'm going to read you. So like I, I think I was saying, I put this I have a system. Uh, retail cloud on my customer system, tons of items, everything else. And they're dealing with like age groups and consumers of all ranges. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's like an Amish market. They sell pies and donuts. Oh, I love and Amish candy. markets. They've got a deli <laughs> thing in the back, right? So you're getting the young parents, you're getting the elderly. You have just a whole range, right? Right. right. And so here in January, he sends me this text. And it was a random, it was Saturday morning at 12.07 p.m. And we, we went live about 10 days before this, right, with this program. Okay. And he goes, just had two customers share with us that they appreciate the option strategy for pricing so much. They said they understand completely why and what we're doing. And they said, thank you for not raising prices on everything, smiley face, winning them over one at a time. And wow, like, awesome. so, awesome. so, I mean, you, you wanted a direct reference. I mean, yeah. there you go. He didn't have there. to send that to me. 
Right. I was just literally sitting there with my kids and bam, this text comes in and he's providing his feedback from his customers. Yeah. Right. And, good, and to right? go back to what James said, people appreciate transparency. Nobody yeah. wants a surprise when they go to check out. Mm -hmm. And if you're creating that experience with transparency, you're creating a better customer experience. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, all right. So, and, and, you know, I love these conversations with you, Keith, because I'm like, you know, you're very good at this stuff. So we've already had a lot of this conversation, but I do want to touch just for one more second on compliance. Okay. And again, as, as you mentioned, as I'm mentioning, none of us are attorneys. This is obviously not legal advice. This, these are our personal opinions, but um, let's talk about it for a second. So um, why have the card brands, you know, you've already touched on it, but like, why are they kind of steering clear of the dual pricing? And it, you know, you know, like even when they sent their, um, even when they sent out their latest memo um, to the acquirers and it said, you know, you have to send the information about any of your ISOs that are doing cash discounting, surcharging, whatever. And they listed several things there, but they were very clear not to mention dual pricing. In other words, that was kind of outside the scope of this memo, at, le at least from what I, the way I read it. What are your thoughts on this? Why are they kind of like, okay, dual pricing? Because it's the exact same economics, obviously, but right. why are they steering clear of it? Uh, I think there's a couple different things. And again, You've kind of prefaced it. We're not attorneys. I'm not a compliance officer. This is Keith sharing Keith's opinion. Okay. Um, and just education, common sense, and everything else. Right. So, again, we all want to play in a space where there's no rules, but you know what? We have rules, right? We don't have to like the rules. Right. And this is where I tend to, you know, I mean, besides having cool antique signs behind me, uh -huh, I tend which to I like, by the way. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I, I tend to have like, a much more favorable view of the card brands, right? I don't like the constant interchange increases. I think if they did, if they continue to do that, there might be things that bite them. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, from regulation and everything else. But right. beyond that, you know, I, I tend to sit in that camp of, look, ISOs are registered with the with the card brands. All you know, it all rolls up. If somebody, even a 1099 contract rep is out there selling products, you're selling it for somebody who's eventually registered with the card brands. That means in your partner agreement. You're sitting there saying that you're going to follow the card brand rules and guidelines. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we may not like it, but guess what? Those card brands allow us to do what we do for a living and it's freaking awesome. So how I've always been one of those people, like how on one hand, can I quote, wear the brands on my shirt, put it in my literature, walk into a business and say, eh, ignore what they say. Like what else in life am I going to sit there and say that about? Right. It, it comes down to one of those, uh, one of those like integrity, bigger picture things. Right. So I think you have, as cash discounting done wrong, because I, I fully agree, if you're selling a fee, there is zero compliant programs out there that can sit there and say a compliant cash discount program and be fee-based. Doesn't exist, okay? Because you look at what MasterCard and their rules, and this isn't just a Visa thing. MasterCard section 15.2.2, I'm going off my head, literally states a surcharge is when a fee is added to a transaction that isn't added to a cash transaction. Pretty black and white. So I think the card brands finally got sick of everybody basically going, hey, we're not going to follow your rules. We're going to do what we want. And so where does the slippery slope stop? That's point number one. Point number two is they don't care how you get there. If I lay down a cash receipt that doesn't have a fee and I lay down a card receipt that does have a fee, I don't care what the signage says. I don't care what that fee is called. It can be called Patty's Retirement Fund. Does not matter. That is by definition, not Visa, but MasterCard's rules, a surcharge, right? right. Like right. method of getting there doesn't determine your results. Those are my results. Yeah. You make that you make that card transaction a debit transaction. Now all of a sudden that violates both surcharge guidelines and everything. Mm -hmm. right. So 
they missed the boat, in my opinion, again, they missed the boat on enforcing cash discount when Visa sent out that memo in 2018, you know, and here are these rules that are listed in the MasterCard rules. They haven't been enforcing it. This has become more and more widespread. You have the wrong persons or persons walking in that are educated and they use a debit card at a deli and they get charged a fee and they're going, this has got to stop. That becomes the lowest hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. I knew this was going to happen back in 2020. In my opinion, also, again, not being a compliance person, and I put this on a Facebook group early, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. In my opinion, the the greatest threat to cash discount the way that industry has been doing it for years isn't the card brands. It's an educated customer base. Yeah. So everybody is like freaking out over the Visa Bulletin, but could you imagine if the other night on 60 Minutes or Dateline or mainstream media across all networks, there was a story fleecing America did you know the rules around using your card? And you had mass education that yeah. when I use my debit card, you're not allowed to charge a fee. And all of a sudden that next morning, customers by the droves at all of these merchants are going, wait a second, you can't do this anymore. And those merchants started calling their agents and the ISOs, like, like what we're dealing with right now is like a bad dream compared to that nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if, if and I'm, I'm saying this if, because there's certain stuff, whatever, if consumer advocacy groups are picking up this torch and they're yeah. starting to apply pressure, okay, it's a whole nother way to look at what we're dealing with in a space. So to go back to your original question on compliance, why card brands are staying away from this on dual price, because dual price doesn't break any of their rules. There's no fees. It's a card price, a cash price. It drives the execution down to the state level. So they're able to wash their hands of it. Right? right. And now all of a sudden it becomes a state issue on how they enforce mm-hmm. the dual price experience for the consumer. So even from a card brand optics perspective, if they can sit there and go, nope, we have a path. Mm-hmm. We push it down to the merchant in the States to create that great customer experience. I'm sorry, consumer advocacy group. If you have a problem with this, you need to start taking it up with the States. Yeah. They, yeah. they default the conversation. Again, this is just how I look at it from a much bigger picture than just crap, I'm not going to make as much money, or now I have to sell it a harder way, or or they're just making my life difficult. No, 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 no. You go out big picture, they're actually preserving the ability, I think, and for us to continue to make higher revenue than traditional processing and giving us a path to do that. Yeah. yeah and I think, yeah. I think you know, one, well, just last point I'll make real quick. I know we're kind of out of time, but, you know, one thing that was very interesting from a, a really a good friend of mine that has an ISO that's dealing with a bunch of fallout from a um, non-cash adjustment type program is that, you know, I hadn't really thought of Visa's position in terms of their their position as legislators and things look at them as they are the entity that's supposed to be regulating the mm. payments experience. And if they're exactly. not going to, then the government's going to. Yeah. Right. And I hadn't really yeah. thought of that actually. And it kind of made me, and you know, Keith, obviously you and I, I have a much lower opinion of Visa as, as a whole than you do. And you know this, right? Yeah. I'm all about the free speech stuff and I don't like what they're doing. But at the same time, if, a, it, you know, when I realized that part of the motivation behind this, I believe from my, from my understanding with the card brands is that they're starting to get pressure from legislators and things to say, wait a second, you're the one that's supposed to be making sure the customers are not getting tricked, that there's not a, yeah. it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, they are failing in their duty to make sure there's compliance with their rules. Yep. Well, I get it. Like that, that is a pretty, because again, for them, Visa cares about almost nothing 
other than not getting regulated. I mean, like literally, well, let's be honest, money. right? I yeah. mean, as, as large as Visa is, I mean, what what keeps the, the, the CEO of Visa up at night? I mean, honestly, about the only thing at this point is regulation. And it's not like this is a, a far-fetched thing. This is exactly what's happened in Australia. This is what's happened in the UK. It's what's happened in the right. EU. It's what's happened in Canada. You know, a little bit different in Canada, but, you know, all over the place, this, this is exactly what's happened. And so, you know, talk about a huge fail. At, you know, if you're the CEO of Visa during the time where the government regulates your interchange in the U.S. market. Yep. That's yeah. a that's a that's a career killer. That's a problem. So I think from that perspective, I'm a little bit less annoyed, <laughs> right, by Visa for doing this because I get it that like okay, they they have to do this. So anyway, Keith, you and I could go on talking about this for a long time as Patty could as well. But since we're out of time, I want to make sure our listeners get a chance to hear how they can follow up. I know they're going to want to learn more about Edge. They're going to want to learn more about you. Where do they go to learn more and uh, and and potentially sign up to do this program? Uh, LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me on. Uh, my email address at NAB is ksampson at nabankcard.com. And I will say right here and there, I am not a recruiter, right? I do not recruit agents. I do not benefit when agents come on board. I'm an advocate to make our industry better. That's how I kind of position myself. Sure. That's how I do content and social media and everything else. Um, they can also go to gonab.com if they actually want to get into our ecosphere, learn more about Edge, sell a true dual price program, get access to all of the software that can run edge uh, dual price on EPX. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna want to get access to that. I personally lead all the edge trainings. This has been like my baby. So um, once people get access into NAB and our partner portal, they can go under tools and the training and literally search edge. And there is a plethora, a whole library of different topics on how to sell edge dual price in a small ticket merchant. What about gratuity accounts? How to keep your merchants compliant? How do I market it? Like. All of these things that go back to this visa bulletin, which I finally got my eyes on and read it word for word, you know, this is a big deal. Like, and I'm sorry, sales partners, if you're listening right now and you have the words cash discount on your website, you need to be thinking real hard from the moment you hear this about how I go back and review my content. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it wording in this space more than almost anything else in our industry matters. Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So I, I do want to give that one more time to our audience. So the it's Keith. Samson, which they can find on LinkedIn, yep. search Keith Sampson. Um, yep. And then you also mentioned the website, goinab.com, right? Correct. Yep. Awesome. Keith, awesome. it has been such a pleasure. Appreciate your expertise and your insights. Thank you so much for taking time to Absolutely. share them with our audience today. Yeah, Thank you very much, James and Patty. Thanks. Yep. So Patty, after listening to that interview, I know a lot of people are going to be interested in talking North American Bank Card, Edge, you know, Keith Sampson and all that. But for the rest of our audience that says, that sounds really cool, but I would like to be able to do that as well. If only there was a processor agnostic technology solution that does dual pricing, Patty. What can we offer? <laughs> we can offer Valor PayTech. Uh, yes. it's a perfect it's a perfect solution. I have to tell you, the more I've looked at this cash discounting topic and the move to dual pricing, yes. um, the more I am really um, struck by what Valor PayTech has done. Um, yes. you know, there's there's they're really uh, head and shoulders above above other uh, brands, at least as it relates. I mean, of course, in many respects, but particularly as it relates to the pricing component. Yeah, and I think it's it's just amazing. They're like ready to go. They literally are. When I, I called Eric several weeks ago uh, mm -hmm. when all this kind of blew up. And I said, hey, a lot of my consulting clients are asking you know, options and stuff. And I said, I'm assuming that you guys already have the tool pricing feature ready to go. Because I knew that they were doing it for some companies, but right, I wasn't sure right. if it was like publicly available. He's like, oh yeah, they just flip a switch. Good to go. And I'm like, of course, <laughs> you know, Perfect. Of course. Um, 
So if you're looking for processor agnostic solutions for dual pricing and you want to be able to do that on the terminal, um, still need to change the sign, you know, other things we've talked about and we're going to talk about right. the different segments, right? But um, you can do that with Valor Paytech. There's literally a, a feature, uh, you know, you have to literally click a button and mm -hmm. change it yep. from the non-cash adjustment the old way to grossing it up with the dual pricing and it's not going to print the line item on the receipt and instead it's going right. to have either the cash price or the card price and so um, fantastic. Uh, definitely check it out ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, obviously, Questions from the Field today, I want to continue talking about this dual pricing, cash discounting, mm -hmm. non-cash adjustment, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, first of all, I was really excited to be able to get Keith on and actually get somebody yeah. on the podcast <laughs> to talk about this. Right. Um, hasn't been the easiest thing. That's not an easy. Yeah, we've had a hard time, folks, getting yeah. people who want to come on and talk about this. But yes. I'm glad Keith. Was well, well, we should say we've had a hard time getting, you know, uh, serious people who know what they're talking about. Right. Yes, to, to come true. on and get. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so so here here's my thought, and, and I'm going to break this down, you know, real quickly. You know, again, number one, I think everybody knows this that listens to this. You know, I am a big believer in free speech, free markets, and I believe that merchants should be able to do whatever they want in terms of the way they communicate their price. Mm -hmm. Visa obviously disagrees with me, and one of the things I think is interesting is. You know, from the beginning, and I've had obviously a lot of conversations with consulting clients the last couple of weeks. And, you know, one thing that, that's been nice is, you know, what I've told all of my consulting clients going back four years, you know, is that the idea of the non-cash adjustment is not something that is compliant with visa rules. Right. I mean, I've said that from day one, you know, right. my rationale has been, you know, the Durban Amendment supersedes visas rules mm -hmm. in this particular scenario. And so they don't have any ground to stand on there. But, right. um, you know, again, more than a, you know, free speech proponent and all of that, I'm also a pragmatist, meaning, right. you know, you got to embrace the reality. You got to take the cards you're dealt and you got to play the best hand that you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and in this case, uh, Visa is really serious about this and they're yeah. serious about it going through the acquirers. And there's been some really interesting things. We touched on a lot of it already in, in the interview with Keith, but, you know, some of the things that have really brought me over the line with the dual pricing, frankly, is my connection with companies like North American Bank Card mm -hmm. and Payrock, who we've had on here. We had Brian Campstron recently and, and mm -hmm. other large acquirers that have gone this direction. Um, they figured it out. They, they figured, figured it out. out how to do it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and most importantly, you know, we're not, we're, this is not a shot in the dark here. This is not some crazy, like, mm -hmm. oh, James is pulling out of his hat this idea of we should just do dual pricing. Like, let's, let's see if that works. You know, no, like, these companies have tens of thousands of merchants that have been doing this program for years. They have not seen reductions in margin. They haven't seen compression in pricing at all. Um, right. They have not seen issues with compliance complaints. Um, they've just not seen that, right? And so right. what I want to clarify, though, is a couple things that, of course, I couldn't do quite as specifically in the, in the interview there because it was so specific to, to EDGE, to North American Bank Cards program. But let's clarify a couple of things here, okay? Um, number one, 
the main objective of Visa, as I understand it currently, is that they are trying to make sure that the acquirers and the ISOs that are under those acquirers, they're trying to ensure that those companies are compliant with Visa rules in terms of what they're providing to the merchant, both in terms of education, in terms of the communication with them, and most importantly, the technology and the consumer experience. Right. Transparency. Yes. And so in order to accomplish that, you need to have, you need to make sure that you are not in any way adding a fee to a card. Right. And the reason I say a card is because as Keith pointed out too, it's like, you know, they consider this to be non-compliant surcharging. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to add a fee to a card, to credit cards, and you're going to do compliant surcharging, well, then you have to register with the card brands. Right. You have to follow the surcharge rules. Um, right. If you're going to do cash discounting, well, now that means that they are raising their price on the shelf of the menu and you're giving them a true cash discount at the point of sale, a percentage cash discount. Mm-hmm. Well, my issue with that is obviously if that's what we present, I mean, Number one, I actually don't think that's as good of an experience even for the for the customer. But I also think all of a sudden the merchant doesn't need us to help them with that. Like anybody can do that. Just raise the price on the shelf and offer a discount. Well, now all of a sudden, as soon as they get the chance, they're going to switch from your, you know, 3.99%, you know, flat rate. They're going to switch to interchange plus 20 basis points and five cents. Right. And why would they give that money to you? Right. And so unless you're providing some significant advantage in this case dual pricing that's going to do a better job of communicating all of this and it's going to be compliant in all 50 states and everything there's really not a rationale for them to pay so i don't like i don't like that kind of quote unquote true cash discount i don't think that's a good option for our industry um i think the non-cash adjustment has been fantastic i don't have any complaints at all i'm not sorry that we did it not one bit run its course run its course it was i think it was very necessary as keith mentioned even you know they were doing non-cash adjustment early on and you know to me it's run its course um, it served its purpose. <clears throat> we validated some really important assumptions about consumer behavior, about mm-hmm. merchant behavior, um, mm-hmm. about you know all of this. And now it's time that we got to pivot. And I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about pivoting to a version of cash discounting called dual pricing. No, it's dual pricing. Yeah. It's not surcharging. It's not cash discounting. Right. It's dual pricing. And you might think, James, James, you know, these words, who cares? These words matter a lot, especially to Visa right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. cannot have the words cash discounting anywhere on anything. Um, nowhere. The word cash discounting should be eliminated from your vocabulary as far as you're talking to merchants. You know, instead, it should be that, you know, when you're, and, you know, especially when I say that, I mean, especially I'm talking about through marketing and your website and things like that, because, you know, Visa is all over this. And, yeah. You don't want to have that wording anywhere on your marketing materials or whatever. This is not a cash discount. It is dual pricing. You're offering two different prices, one for cash and one for cards. Now, again, the scope of this, as we talked about with Keith, the scope of this, as far as our industry is concerned, is that we have a point of sale system. We have a terminal that is going to take the cash price that is entered and it's going to gross that up to have a card price. Mm -hmm. Um, then whatever the merchant decides to do with that is up to the merchant as far as are they going to update their menu? Are they going to update what's on the shelf? That's up to the merchant. Okay. We are going to be compliant. Our signs are going to be compliant, all of that. Right. Right. Um, right. So, so that's really important to, to, to get that and to, to understand that piece of it. Um, and really the, the path forward here, what's great about this is the economics are exactly the same. For most of you, the terminals are exactly the same. I talked to somebody yesterday about deja vu and how you can, you know, 
do that in a weird way. Um, but obviously most of you are using Valor Pay Tech, you know, our terminals that we recommend uh, for our sponsor. And, you know, they have a setting you can change to do this. Um, and so, there, you know, we shouldn't hopefully have too big of a deal there. Last thing no, that I want to- technology, yeah. The technology foundation has been laid for. It's just a matter yes. of implementing, you know, just a few minor changes. It is. And again, even if you have to swap out the, the terminals, you know, show the merchants the memo from Visa. Well, yeah. And well, say, hey, there's a you- new, you know- so just to throw out a, a side, yeah. James, um, you know, in a way, you know, and, and I know what, what you're saying is we don't have to really care about the merchant. But I would, you know, suggest that, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing prices every place higher than they were two years ago. I just bought a BLT and I was astounded that here in Podunk, right. Maryland, I had to pay 10 bucks for a BLT. Sure. <laughs> right. Sure. So, yeah, so I guess we should clarify. And I appreciate bringing that up because to clarify what I'm saying is from a compliance perspective to get your processing company compliant with visa rules, you need to take care of this at the point of sale. And then what the merchant does is on the merchant. Now, right. to your point, Patty, and this is a good one. So let's talk about now how to actually like implement this long-term. Right. right? So, right. so, so what's going to happen is when you implement this, um, you know, you're going to, again, change the technology to have two prices instead of one. Make sure the receipt doesn't have a line item on it. That's all pretty simple. Change the sign to the fact that you offer dual pricing. Be very careful about the signage. Um, I'll try to get some more information out about that soon. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be talking too much about the cash discount you know, or, or the fact that you certainly don't mention cash discount. You don't want to say that the shelf or the menu price is the cash price um, because, again, from your perspective, and again, we're going to talk about how to help the merchant, but as far as from a compliance perspective, that's not your business. Right. If the merchant wants to put a sign up that says the shelf price is the cash price, go for it. That's on them. That's their choice. Mm-hmm. Your sign should be talking about the fact that you have dual pricing. Right. And that there is a cash price and a card price. Right. That's it. Right. So no line on the receipt, cash price and card price, a new sign that says we have a cash price and a card pl- price. Right. That's it. That's right. that's your side. And then finally, you know, lastly, what you're going to find is most of these large acquirers, um, you know, Edge included, there's an additional document that the merchant has to sign um, about this program. And this document basically says that they understand that the payment processing company does not have control over state, local or federal laws and that each state has varying laws, as Keith mentioned. And so it's up to the merchant to remain compliant with those pricing laws, but that they are implementing a compliant program at the point of sale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so having the merchant sign that. So now that we've had all that foundation, Patty, now let's talk about what happens when we have an issue, okay? Right. So now the you know merchant gets a complaint, uh, you know, goes to the card brands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Card brands reach out to the ISO and say, hey, one of your merchants is doing a non-compliant you know, surcharge program because the price on the shelf is different from the price of the counter. Now, mm-hmm. what you're going to find is that complaint is going to be exceedingly rare so far in my experience. And again, I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice. But so far in my experience, the experience of others I've talked to, that is pretty rare. And the reason is because Visa, the only thing that Visa sees when they get a compliance complaint is what? The receipt, the receipt. and the sign. They get a picture of the sign. Well, if the receipt says card price whatever. And the sign says we have dual pricing. Well, that's all the visa is going to see. And so now the the consumer might also put in their complaint that, Hey, the price in the menu or the shelf was X, but that just doesn't happen very often. And when it does, if it does, 
and Visa reaches out and says, this is a problem. Well, you would send them the letter signed by the merchant that says, look, you yeah. know, we, our solution is compliant. Here's how our solution works. It is dual price. Right, right. Sure. The fact that the merchant is not, you know, we'll talk to the merchant and do our best to help them, but that's not on you as the ISO or the agent or the acquirer. That's on the merchant, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. now we reach out to that merchant and now we say, hey, look, you know, these uh, laws are, are changing. They're evolving over time. Dual pricing is definitely still the right way to go, but you have not put dual pricing on the menu or the shelf. So, you know, let's say it's a menu. Well, we need to reprint your menu to have either the credit, you know, the, the card price on there or to have both prices on there and or uh, the other, not and or, or we could say compliant surcharging. So we could change it to that. But, mm -hmm. you know, at that point, that one merchant that's had that problem, you know, they could make that choice um, yeah, at that right, point exactly, of how they want to sure. proceed. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really it. And I think, I think the last point I want to make real briefly, because we touched on it during the interview, uh, I talked about a little bit, you know, again, everybody knows my opinion on Visa in terms of, you know, the price increases that they do, their kind of, uh, you know, collusion with MasterCard, the limits to free speech. Um, you know, obviously, in, you know, I, I have friends that work at Visa, but I'm just saying as a company in terms of their approach to this particular issue, I'm not, I've not been a big fan. However, I do want to make a caveat here because, um, you know, after getting a little more information, um, I, I don't totally disagree with Visa on this one, actually, um, because it's changing ever I'm, so slightly. I'm seeing slightly, a little bit of the other side. <laughs> I'm having a tiny <laughs> bit of compassion for Visa here. Um, you know, them and their you know, the poor company with all these billions of dollars in profits. Right, um, right, right. I'm having a little compassion. Um, but no, you know, let's face it, you know, where we where Visa and I share a, a lockstep agreement is we do not want our industry regulated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So hopefully everybody listening understands we do not want our industry regulated. And, okay. and the fact is, is that if this keeps going out of control, I just wrote about this in my column for the green sheet. If interchange keeps going up and up and up. I mean, I saw a report from the, from the Kansas city fed that showed average interchange here in the U S the only countries that outstrip us are the Ukraine, Russia, Azure, I mean, these Kurzakistan, I mean, countries that I can't even pronounce, and Moldova. I mean, yeah. do we really want to be in that, right. you know? And the fact right. is, and many of the others are lower because they've been regulated. Right. Well, that's the, that is the reason. And again, yes. for Visa, you know, this is why I don't, one of the reasons I really despise the way that they do the, the increases and all that because of the, the risk it poses to our entire industry for regulation. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in this one little instance here with this whole non-cash adjustment, non-compliant right. surcharging, Apparently, yes. apparently this idea has been floated. It's been floated from, from uh, legislators, regulators, mm -hmm. et cetera, that, mm -hmm. well, Visa, if you can't control your own network, yes, it's become so large, then the government's going to have to step in and do something. And yes. I haven't totally validated all that. And I don't know exactly what was said and who said it, but I mean. Well, there I, have been well, letters from, from Senator Durbin yes. to the car brands that, Pretty much, I mean, I saw one just the other day that, you know, the merchants sent theirs, you know, and then the, con, you know, right, senators right. sent one to Visa right. MasterCard. They right. are. But but again, though, that, they're in communication. Those letters, though, to clear, to clarify, that's about the price increases. Whereas. True. But, right? it, but, but they also say, like, in one letter that the, um, that uh, Durbin sent to Visa and MasterCard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He says, you know, you're going to raise these prices, even though you had billions of dollars in profits right. last year, 
this just doesn't seem to jive. It doesn't doesn't right. look right. right. And then right. you had the CFPB chief a couple weeks ago saying when prices are increased in lockstep, it doesn't look right. And so, Good. and so obviously they're already in the crosshairs for regulation. Yes. Of course, Durbin already regulated, you know, he's to, already the done card. It. Yeah, right. But, exactly. But the idea here is if Visa can't control what's happening with the consumer experience using their cards, yes. there's been some talk amongst legislators and regulators that they would step in. And so if us not doing the dual pricing is somehow any kind of a risk of regulation, well, Let's go to dual pricing, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. I, you yeah. know, I, I think even Visa's I agree doing, with you on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Visa's doing fine on on uh, provoking the the legislation, uh, the legislature. We let's not do, do our part. Yeah. Let's let's Agreed. get out of that particular one, you know. So anyway, that's my thought on it. Um, that's where I'm standing on it right now uh, with all the information that I have. Um, if you have thoughts, questions, additional information, feel free to reach out, James at ccsalesper.com, and obviously we'll continue to keep you up to date on this. Thanks, James. is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, James, you know, that we've talked about and there's been a lot of buzz in the industry about Visa uh, cracking down on surcharging and cash discounting. I just wanted to share with everybody, I, I happen to come across a copy of a memo that I, I'm sure a lot of people have it by now, but maybe not everybody, that Visa sent out to acquirers. Basically, what they're saying is that they are doing random audits of merchants and have found several to be in violation of their surcharge and or their cash discounting rules. Um, you know, right. maybe uh, in cases where surcharges were assessed on debit cards or they were higher than the cost of acceptance. But probably the most um, perplexing one for our audience, I guess, would be the uh, non-compliant, non-compliant deployment of cash discounting. Right. And, and the letter drives home the point that acquirers are responsible for ensuring registered merchants comply with the terms of their agreements, their merchant agreements, um, and that ISOs are held to these same standards. Um, and in this case, they said uh, this particular acquirer, maybe while they weren't any uh, compliance cases involving them, Visa still wants them to go validate compliance of any surcharging or discounting programs throughout their merchant portfolios. Right, and, and uh, to report back with contact information. On all their ISOs that are selling these services. Right, so that Visa can validate. So that Visa can validate. And you know, and, and for somebody with a, with a large portfolio, that's gonna be pretty Herculean because they only have 60 days to respond. This particular letter was sent out in early April, so they would have till early June to comply. So, I mean, I think there's definitely some, some um, reason for concern. Yeah. Well, and, and basically if you're, you know, as we'll talk about, as we, as we just talked about with Keith and then as I'm mm-hmm. going to talk about in a second too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely concerning if you're doing non-cash adjustment on debit. So. Yes. Yes. So yeah. Good stuff. Well, obviously this will be an evolving story and we'll keep everybody up to date. Keep everybody posted. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, 
or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.